Good morning. I feel so tall up here. It's a, it's a rare occasion that I feel tall, so praise God for that. But God bless you guys. You guys, I have to say, you guys are a pretty church. You, you guys look pretty. And, um, but I want you guys to know it takes a lot for you guys to look pretty. And I just want to give a shout out to all the guys who work in the back. Um, the tech folk, your, your, um, your worship man, everyone, the ushers, well, yeah. Um, yeah, so God bless you guys. Uh, I want to start off with reading from Romans. This isn't part of the text, but I want to start off reading from Romans. Paul didn't start the Roman church, but he was super excited to go to the Roman church. He heard about news about how Jesus is doing something amazing there, and, um, and it happened out of nowhere. And so this was exciting for him. So Paul thought the Roman church was pretty. And so he's coming to them, but he sent them a letter prior, and it says this in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Um, that is kind of the call every time pastors and leaders ask other pastors and leaders to speak at their church. And so I'm honored that Pastor Phil has given me this um, very sacred place to speak the word of God to you. And um, in doing so, I hope and I pray that my love collectively as a whole, but I know a lot of you guys. I love a lot of you guys, you know, and um, I hope that my love will be displayed before you. And I hope that, I hope, and I hope, I hope, I hope that um, both of us, uh, we will be mutually edified because of our faith. Amen. So uh, why don't we pray? Why don't I start in prayer and um, we'll get into it. Father God, thank you so much. Um, your kingdom is here, Lord. Perhaps not fully, but I get to taste it here. And let me just say, Lord, that it is good. Thank you for everyone here, Lord God. Now use me as your vessel. Take away all the words that I have that I try to sound pretty and sound nice and fancy. Take them all so that your word will be clear that your word will resound in our hearts, that your word, that eternal word, will transform all of us today. Father, thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for sharing your glory with us. And thank you for these people. And thank you for this time. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, digital or otherwise, open to the letter of 1 Peter. It's towards the end of the New Testament, but um, we're gonna, I don't have a specific anchor text. I'm going to go through three passages in Peter, and they all start with a similar phrase. But the idea here is this, kingdom come. And it's kind of grammatically incorrect. I wanted to convey something else. The idea is kingdom has been coming. Ever since Jesus defeated death on the cross and on the third day resurrected, the kingdom started, the kingdom has been inaugurated, the kingdom has been coming. Therefore, be alert and sober. 
Therefore, be alert and sober. That was, that's, in essence, the message of 1 Peter. That's the message of the apostle, okay? Be alert and sober. Now, I got the privilege to speak twice at Theology and Coffee, and I spoke on the concept of eschatology. Eschatology is that fancy church doctrine word for the study of the end times, the study of the end times. What is going to happen at the end of all things, okay? And we have a very hopeful eschatology. We have a very hopeful eschatology. But I have to confess to you guys, for those that showed up on Wednesday nights, um, and please continue showing up because it's an amazing thing. Um, I didn't give you everything. I didn't give you everything. Um, And here's the reason why I say that. I gave you guys content. I gave you guys what exactly is going to happen, but I didn't give you guys challenge. I didn't give you guys call. Okay? You'll see eschatology resonates in the scripture. And eschatology is something of a product of prophetic. The end times, all that disclosure of what's going to happen at the end, God revealed to his prophets And his prophets proclaimed this good news, that God is a good God, that God will judge, and that judgment will set everything right. It's like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Remember when the ring burned up in the lava and then the tower of Sauron just destroyed? That's what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back. The strongholds of Satan, the strongholds of wickedness, the strongholds of sin, they will crumble down. That's our judgment. That is when Jesus Christ comes back. But it's not just about knowing that. It's not just about those strongholds crumbling down. The prophets then is, what are you going to do about it? Knowing that God is going to come and knowing that he's going to set everything right, what are you going to do about it? And this is Peter's message. Be alert and sober. Be alert and sober. Okay, so let's just go into our text and let's read the first section. Go into 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. I'm, I don't care if you guys look at me. I really don't. I'm not that good looking. All right. I want you guys to look at your text. I want you guys to be focused on your text because that's all what we're going to do today. We're going to read Peter. All right. And it reads in chapter one, verse 13 through 25. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. By the way, this is the New International Version. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of from the empty way handed down to you from your ancestors, but with precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He has chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. 
Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm overstepping myself. All right, so that's it. I want to give you some historical context. Peter is writing most likely to the church in Rome. Peter is writing most likely in the church of Rome. And the church has been experiencing tumultuous times during, um, during him writing it, okay? They are, if you will, surrounded by persecution, trial, and tribulation. Historically, their experience, their past, their present, and their future is riddled with tribulation, suffering, and persecution. Let me, I love history, so let me pinpoint some of these points. While he was writing it, in the past, the emperor of Rome, because there was disputes about a, name, about a lord named Crestus, and a lot of scholars believe that this is a misspelling of the word Christ. But due to the Jews debating about this individual, Claudius, the emperor, kicked all the Jews and most likely Jewish Christians out of Rome. It, they had no say in it, but the Roman guards just took everything out of their house and they just pushed them out. They expelled them. They lost their homes. They lost their they lost, most likely, they lost their jobs if they didn't own their own business. They've been expelled. They were taken away the place that they were growing up in, the place that they lived. So that happened in the past. What's happening now was the new emperor, Nero, who was like a celebrity at the time and did whatever he wanted, but Nero believed that this Christian sect, this Christian movement, was nothing more than new superstition and something to be avoided um, immensely. And so whenever there was a person that claimed that they were a Christian, especially those that were influential, he would punish them, even to the point of death. So that's what was happening during the time of Peter writing the letter. And then in the future, there's a great fire in Rome. Of the, I believe there were 17 districts in Rome. There were 17 districts in Rome. Three of them were destroyed by this fire. It was a destructive fire. And a lot of people, a lot of senators, blamed Nero for starting the fire. But Nero said, hey, it's not me. It's those superstitious sect calling themselves Christians. They're the ones that started the fire. You know that they worship at night. You know that they're, they have the light of the world or something like that. You know that they do things in secret. It's those guys, those guys that started the fire. And now you had public propaganda hating these Christians because, again, they thought that they, were destroyed, they, they destroyed Rome. So, like I said, the Christians in Rome, past, present, future, experienced suffering and persecution. So what does Peter do as a good pastor, as the apostle, the one who knew Jesus so closely, what does he do? He says, hey, in the midst of your fiery trials, be hopeful. What? 
are you crazy? And not just the whole, not just try to garner hope from yourself because there's no hope within us. We're suffering. We're persecuted. No, Paul says the grace that was brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, that is what you need a hope for. That is what you need a hope for. What does he mean? What does he mean? The coming of Jesus Christ, his second return, it shows that um, basically Jesus is not dead. He's going to come back. He's going to return. He didn't die in that tomb. His body is not decaying. He's resurrected. That's what ultimately what it means when he's coming back. It infers that he's alive. If he is alive and he didn't die on the cross, what does that mean? The greatest enemy of all creation has finally lost. He's not undefeated. It's not a million to zero. It's a million to one. And I hope on that one. He lost. He lost. And if that is the case, eternity wins. And by doing this, when Jesus Christ comes back, what, is, what God is doing is that he's vindicating Jesus. What does vindication mean? It means that he proves someone to be right. You prove someone to be true. Jesus, when he comes back, will be publicly vindicated to the entire world that he is the son of God. Amen. He is the son of God. And he's also been given authority by God to judge all of creation. That is the returning of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. Why is it our grace? Why is it our grace that Jesus Christ is coming back? I mean, Jesus is eternal. I'm not eternal. When I die, no matter you know, what happens, when I die, I'm going to be six feet under. Well, nine feet under compared with this platform, but I will be six feet under. Why is it my grace that Jesus Christ is coming back? He says it like this in verse 24. He references it. All people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass, grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And he continues on, and he says that we are born out of the imperishable word. This is our grace, you guys. Our grace is this. We were deemed, our destiny was, in, was, um, our destiny was to be was to perish. I thought I had a fancier word for it. Our destiny was to perish. Our destiny was to be destroyed. Our destiny was to have death subdue us. But God, in his mercy and his love, said, what I did for Jesus, I will also do for you. That is the grace. That is the grace. He uses a scripture verse to say that we are not immortal. We are mortal. We are mortal. We don't deserve immortality. We're not entitled to it. We don't have a right to it. It's been given to us. It's been given to us. Jesus, in his love, in his mercy, in his kindness, says, the eternity that I get to experience with my Father, I want everyone who believes in me now to experience. 
We will be transformed. We will be enhanced on that day when Jesus Christ arrives. We will be enhanced so that we get to have communion. We get to have community with the Trinity God. The same way that I see Pastor Phil, the same way that I see you guys, the ability that I could hug you, the ability that I could shake your hand, the ability that I can have a meal with you guys, that will be the same experience that will we have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what, that is our grace. That is our grace. We're not considered enemies by God anymore. If we say with our free will at this present moment in history, you are my Lord, you are my God, I trust you with my life. And I'm willing to die for you because you died for me. When we make that proclamation here right now on this side of history, God says, welcome home, my servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You are brother. You are sister. You are daughter. You are son. And this is the reason why we have baptism. I'll promote it now. I'll promote it. Next Sunday, if you guys haven't thought about it and you, you have that same kind of feeling that I, there's no other way of living life without Christ. Of course you got to be baptized. And it makes perfect sense to do it publicly at a park. And it makes perfect sense to have a dessert competition while you have a baptism. It makes absolutely perfect sense. Because you are proclaiming, you are proclaiming that I am part of a new community. I am part of God community. And this is what God community does. Enjoy baptism, celebrate each other for their decision while eating cake at the same time. So if you haven't decided, talk to your leaders and say, yeah, I want to know more what baptism is all about. Because of Jesus' sacrifice and God's love, believers now can experience full Trinity communion when Christ returns. That is our hope. Now, this hope should not make you feel mushy inside. That's not the only reason why we have this hope. It's not so that whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm junk going through, that it could be something that I can forget about that junk for just the time being. It's not sentimental hope. It's not emotional hope. This hope needs to be taken seriously. Seriously. When I was in high school, I bought a total gym. A total gym. Does anyone know what total gym is? It was endorsed by Chuck Norris. That's the major reason why I bought a total gym, okay? Because I wanted to be awesome, and I wanted to be bad like Chuck Norris. And if Chuck Norris is using the total gym, I got to use the total gym. I have no idea where that total gym is. And as you can see, I don't look like Chuck Norris. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you're going to buy something or if you call something your own and you really want to have it work for your benefit, you got to use it. You got to use it. A lot of Christians, they say, oh, man, thank you, Jesus, and just don't do anything with it. They don't do anything with the hope, you know, and they just want to live out their life thinking that Jesus is just simply an insurance policy. 
No, hope is total gym. Hope is the total gym. You gotta use it. You gotta use it. And the person that bought it for you after a year or so, like at Christmas, is like, hey, bro, you using the total gym? Nah, man. Why did I buy you that total gym? You know what I'm saying? Jesus bought us the total gym. Jesus bought with his precious blood the hope and salvation for us to be with, Je- uh, be with him at the end. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. And so what does he say? Be alert and fully sober in your mind. What does that mean? The word here, alert, is an Old Testament phrase. Gird up your loins. Gird up your loins. Why? They didn't have pants at the time. So what they had to do is they had to grab the underneath, pull it up, and tuck it in their belt so they can start running. That's what Elijah did. He girded up his loins and he, run in, he ran in front of Ahab's chariot. The guy was a sprinter. You can't sprint wearing a dress. So you got to book it, right? And so you got to pick up your thing and you just move. That's what girding up your loins means. So what does alert mean? Be ready to move. Wow. Be ready to move. Be ready to move, okay? Sober. Sober. We all know what that means, right? But basically, soberness means having the ability of self-control. Self-control. Okay? So, this whole idea of hope, taking it seriously, be ready to do what God, uh, be ready to do what God has asked you to do, yeah. and do it in self-control. Right. Be alert and sober. Okay? So, what do we have to do Or what is the purpose of being alert and sober? The purpose is this, and he says it in uh, verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy for the Lord, for I am holy. What What does God call us to do with this hope? Be alert and of sober mind to pursue holiness. Be alert, be ready to be holy, be ready to be holy, but also be ready with self-control and pursue holiness. Now we have, all of us have a definition of what holiness looks like. All of us do. And then a lot of people outside of the church and a lot of people within the church kind of make fun of people who are close or are quote unquote holy rollers, right? They don't, wear, they don't wear their clothes in a particular way. They tuck in their shirt. They might have a tie when they watch a movie. I don't know, right? But these, we have this definition of what a holy roller is. But let me ask you this. What does the Bible say? I'm so sorry. I don't know why. I think I have a huge head, so I'm just playing with this. But what does the Bible say? Thank you, brother. What does the Bible say of what holiness is? Peter already defines it for us. Peter already defines it for us. He says this. Uh, where is it, Peter? Give me one second. <laughs> Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. This is just another metaphor of pursuing holiness. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Pursuit of holiness is loving one another deeply. That's what holiness is. 
That's how Peter defines holiness. Pursuit of holiness is to love one another deeply. Another, word, another definition of holiness in the Old Testament is um, unique. I would also even say weird. Holiness is also can be defined as weird. It just doesn't seem normal. Loving one another, sadly nowadays, doesn't seem normal. When we decide in our hearts, being alert and of sober mind to say, I'm going to love you because I know you'll love me. In the world today, especially, that is holiness. That is holiness. So now he has three imperatives on how we must be alert and sober mind. And I'm going to say these interchangeably, but it's a formula here. Be alert and sober mind. Pursue holiness. Be alert and sober mind equals pursue holiness, which equals to love one another deeply. That's what Peter is saying here. That is what Peter's talking about. So the first, the first charge, the first command that the apostle makes is in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. And if we wish to pursue holiness, which means to love one another deeply, it's this, rid yourself of being offended. Rid yourself of being offended. Let's read. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is spiritual milk? The knowledge, the theological knowledge that the Lord is good. That's spiritual milk. We need to constantly remind ourselves that the Lord is good. But we need to anchor that with real-time experience, with real-time testimony. Why is the Lord good? And we know in this letter, ultimately, the reason why the Lord is good is because he is willing to share his eternity with creation. He wants to have communion with us. He wants to chill with us. He wants to have cake with us as well. That's what he wants. That's why the Lord is good. But we need to constantly, just like we eat, we need to constantly remind ourselves of that theological truth. Because out of that theological truth, it gives us the challenge to do what? Be holy. What does that mean? To love one another deeply. Okay? So by doing that, by pursuing love for one another, we get rid of what? He gives us a list. Deceit, hypocrisy, malice, envy, slander. Why do people do that? Why do people do these things towards one another? Why do we slander each other? Why are we envious of each other? Why do we deceive each other? And I found out, or I, my meditation of the text, I, I, I can boil it down to two reasons. One, when we compare one another, we find ourselves deficient compared to the other person. That's why we lie. That's why we play the Jones game, right? Oh, look, I got this Mercedes MLK, da 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 da. I got a Honda, but it's an awesome Honda, so much better than your MLK or something like that. I don't know. Why do we do that? Because when we compare ourselves to other people, we think we are in a deficiency to that other person. 
That's one reason. The other, pers- the other reason is because we get offended. And what offense in the New Testament means is that someone owes something to you. You lied to me. You cheaped me on the bill. Oh, man, you owe me something now. You de- owe me something now, and I demand retribution. And we spiritualize that, right? Yeah. Lord, you told me to love this guy, but I don't feel like loving this guy. Do what you got to do. Change that person's heart. God wants to change your heart, brother. That's what's going on. But those are the two reasons why I think we do these things, these ugly things towards each other. One, we think we're deficient. Two, we feel that they owe us something. We're broken individuals. I understand that. I understand that we do that all the time, right? But when we are with Jesus, when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, he's the king of all kings. He has the resources of all creation in the palm of his hands. And he calls us children of God. What does that mean? Because I trust in Jesus, all my deficiencies are filled up. Because I trust in Jesus, I don't need to be owed by anyone anymore because Jesus will pay me back. When we trust in Christ, Jesus will fill us up. (laughs) Jesus will fill us of our cracks. I have a picture here, that bowl. Um, There's a Japanese art, and I'm going to butcher it, so you just got to Google it, okay? But I think it's called kintsugi. Kintsugi. And what it is, is when a ceramic bowl or a plate breaks, this art fixes it together, but all the cracks are filled with gold. All the cracks are filled with gold. You guys, we're like broken plates. We're like broken bowls. And we'll always be like broken bowls and plates unless we trust in Jesus. And what Jesus has done is that all those cracks, they'll come together and he lines it up with the Holy Spirit gold. So we are no longer cracked. We are no longer broken. We are whole with the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, why do I need to be envious towards you? Why do I need to deceive you? Why do I need to slander you? I don't need, you don't owe me anything anymore. Yeah, you may have wronged me. Yeah, you may have wronged me, but Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has taken care of me. Rid yourself of offense. Rid yourself of being offended. Let's continue on. 1 Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, They should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, it might sound like it's a super easy thing when I say rid of yourself of being offended. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to sound self-righteous. It's like, not like I figured it out, okay? I'm still trying to work with it. I want to say that it's, yes, it's, it's so difficult. Yes, it's so difficult, but I thank God and his scriptures that it can be very simple. And how is that simple? I need to depend on God's Holy Spirit power to not be offended, to not be offended. How do I do that? What is a tangible way not to be offended anymore? He says it right here. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Remember, what does that mean? Be alert of sober mind. Pursue holiness. What does pursue holiness mean? Love one another deeply. How do we love one another deeply? He says it in this verse, pray. Pray. It's interesting because what we see previously, it says be alert and sober mind to love one another deeply. But now we say be alert and sober mind, pray. What is going on here? He's adding to the formula. Loving one another deeply means that you pray for one another. Loving one another deeply means that I pray for you. But what is it specifically we are praying about? He continues on. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How do we get rid of being offended? We pray to have the power to forgive. If we pray to have the power to forgive and we forgive those who trespass us, that is pursuing holiness. That is pursuing holiness. But it's so hard. I know. I know. I'm with you. I'm with you, bro. I'm with you, sister. But this is what we do. This is who we are. If any Christian leader sugarcoated it for you, that once you accept Jesus Christ, everything is going to be beautiful roses and ice cream, no. Why? Because constantly we have to attack the sinful nature of who we are. And the best way to attack the sinful nature is to start forgiving those that have hurt us. I was going to add more, but I was like, dude, that... That's right. <laughs> so like I said, loving one another deeply is to pray. Praying adds covering of the multitude of sin. Why? Because we're dependent. It's a conduit with the divine. It's the conduit with the eternal. We are connected with God when we forgive. But not only do we have the power to forgive now through prayer, but we also have the power to serve one another, to serve one another. And this is how the church should be, interdependent servitude, interdependent servitude. And I, you know, the amazing thing is like I met some of you guys at home groups and like you guys starting at Inspire, some of you, you know, like at that home group. And the amazing thing is when I come to this, you guys are serving now. You're participating. You're involved. Interpe interdependent servitude. I have gifts, and here's a theological truth. When you say yes to Jesus, Jesus gives you gifts. 
When you say yes to Jesus, Jesus gives you gifts. For some of us, it just happens naturally. It just comes out like it was nothing. For others, we had to work with it. And there's a particular example in Peter which says, um, if you speak, speak as if you're speaking the very words of God. That took me a while. That took me a while. Because why? I stutter. I used to stutter. I used to stutter. And so it's hard. So I'm excited an example here. Sometimes these gifts have to be worked out. Don't think that if it happens right away that it's not a gift. you got to work at it. You have to work at it, okay? Here's the problem, though, that the, that the sin nature creeps up all the time. The problem is that we are so familiar, and so it comes natural to us to establish a hierarchy, meaning that other gifts are better than others, that there's these lower gifts, and then there's these higher gifts. Don't do that. Resist that temptation. All gifts are equal in the eyes of God. The only, reason, the only reason I have the ability to convey these things is because there's others that prayed for me. There's others that taught me. that others that encouraged me. The only reason we get to see these PowerPoint presentations is because of all the things that happen in the background. And the only reason why there might be one person who doesn't know Christ, who walks in this building, who has contemplated suicide, and an usher comes up to him and say, hey, welcome to Inspire Church. You're welcomed here. You're welcomed here. And that, that word, more so than the word of a pastor, compelled that person to say, no, I won't take my life. Every gift, you guys, every gift, every gift is important in the eyes of God. Let's not make a hierarchy from it. Let's continue on. So, the first, the first command, rid of yourself from being offended. Second command, love one another deeply by praying and serving one another. Let's go now to the third command. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. It reads, be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will him himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So the formula, be alert and sober mind. Pursue holiness. Love one another deeply. He goes on and he starts, be alert and sober mind, resist the devil. The devil here is described as a predator. As a predator. And I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't watching Discovery Channel, but I was thinking about it. But predators, they have one strategy. All predators have one strategy. How do they get the easiest prey? Predators won't go to the strongest bull. Predators won't go to the herbivore with the horn in front of his face. Predators, predators won't even touch an elephant. Predators will always get the weak one. Will always get the straggler. One who is outside of the herd. That's what predators do. Satan 
It takes too much hard work to defeat someone who truly pursues holiness, who truly loves one another. It's really hard. He's going to get for the easy choice. And what is the easy choice? What is the straggler? The one who's not been forgiven. The one who refuses to forgive. The one who is not willing to serve. Those are the individuals that are outside of the herd. The ones who are not forgiven. And we're all victimizers in that way. One shape or form. There's one person that still we're struggling with to forgive. So keep that in mind. So those are those people. Those are those people. Then there are those on the other side who refuse to forgive. You have no idea what this person did to me. You have no idea how this person hurt me. They don't deserve forgiveness. But those people are stragglers as well. And then there are those who are not willing to serve. And it doesn't matter what the excuse is, you guys. It's just, uh, if the church is just not, it's not equipped for my gifting. What does that mean? The reason why it's not equipped is because you're not using your gift, right? Oh, no, I, I, I'm just so busy. I, I, I just don't have time to serve the church. In God's kingdom, excuses don't really matter. Find out, focus in your heart why you're not willing to serve. Because Satan is hunting you. Satan is hunting us when we're like that. But there's a solution. There's a solution. And I love those discovery programs when there's like a pack of wolves trying to get like a muskox baby. You know what I'm saying? Or, like a, or a pack of lions trying to get this baby elephant. And what happens? Mama elephant comes charging in. Mama ox, papa ox, the entire ox community comes charging in. Be sober and alert. Resist the devil. What does that mean? Be sober and alert. Pursue holiness. Love one another deeply. Protect those people. Protect those people. How? For those that are unforgiven, forgive. For those who are unwilling to forgive, challenge them to forgive. And for those who do not wish to serve, inspire them to serve. Bring them into community. Bring them into community. For those that are coming in and have no home, for those who are displaced, for those who are looking for a church and they're just sitting by themselves, Go up to them and say, hey, what's up? You're new. How you doing? My name is Simon. Nice to meet you. It's that simple. It's that simple. Now, I don't know if this church is like that. I don't think this church is like that. But if you know someone, talk to them about it. But another tangible way is don't become a church of cliques. Every Sunday, every Sunday, we might go to the people that we're used to, we're familiar with. That's normal. I understand. I do that too. So this is a challenge for me as well. But do not become a church of cliques. That's how Satan devours, and that's how Satan taunts, hunts. Um, he prowls through cliques, and they'll find the weakest clique. 
and he'll find the weakest person within that clique, and he will destroy and tear down. We're all in this together. We're the Avengers, you guys. We're the Justice League. We are. We are. And the only way that they defeat Thanos and the only way that they get to defeat Darkseid is that they work together. They work together. And if, if, if comic books isn't your thing, strength in numbers. Go Warriors. We work together. So, Christians, brothers and sisters, we are people of eschatology. We are people that know that the end is when Jesus Christ comes back, that he will set all things right. He will restore, he will redeem, he will purify. So that we who decide to call him Lord and Savior at this time, at this time, get to enjoy fellowship with him, just like I'm enjoying fellowship with you. That should give us hope. That should give us hope. But take that hope seriously, you guys. Be alert and of sober mind. Be alert and of sober mind. Here's why. America, because I can only say about America, but America, we are living in a culture of devouring lions. What do I mean by that? Especially the young people. I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's a sense of pessimism that's, that's covering young people these days. People are just so pessimistic now. People are so in despair. They're, they can't trust their government. They can't trust their church. They can't trust their religion. They do not have trust in history because they believe that everything in history is bad because of their pessimism. So what happens to a person when they're so pessimistic like that? And not only that, but there's disease everywhere. There's famine, there's drought, for goodness sake. California is enduring the worst fires in its history. We feel that we are destroying our environment. We feel that it's gonna be a next genocide. We feel that, we, and we don't wanna take care of anyone because we're afraid to take care of, take care of any, anyone. The, the young people these days, people in general, they think that the end is near and it's not gonna be great. It's going to be Walking Dead. It's going to be Book of Eli stuff. It's going to be Judgment Day kind of stuff. Who wants to be happy knowing that their end comes to that? And because of that pessimism, they respond with despair. And they just, because they feel powerless. They feel powerless. And the more you feel powerless, and the more that you are reminded of your powerless, powerlessness, what's going to happen? You're going to be resentful. You're going to get angry. You're going to be, you're going to see yourself as a victim that everything in this world is out to destroy you. How do I know this? I know this because I go through Facebook. I know this because I read Twitter. I know this because all the social media platforms showcase that. And do you know how they showcase that? They showcase by tearing each other apart. Because of social media, we have anonymity. We don't see, I don't see the person that I'm tearing down. 
I don't see how much it affects that person. I don't see how much it hurts that person. And sadly, cyberbullying has increased, right? But it's more than just in the cyber platform. Bullying just increased in general. And when you have people that are resentful and people that are angry and people that are hurting, they're going to lash out. We are in a stronghold, you guys. The devouring lion, the spirit of Satan is real and it's powerful and it has a weapon. It's called social media. Because of the anonymity, I don't get to see the person that I hurt. This is a real problem. This is a real stronghold. This is something that the church can resist. How, as a church, do we resist? Be alert and of sober mind. Pursue holiness. Love one another deeply. May your words be words of forgiveness. May your words be words of encouragement. I'm not saying to go on social media and just do it for three weeks. Live your life out. Practice it in the church. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgiveness is a sober act. Why? Because I have to step out of my reaction. I have to step out of my emotion so that I can say, wait, why is this person offending me? Why is this person hurting me? Lord, I don't understand now, but take me out of my emotion, take me out of my reaction so that I can forgive this person. Forgiveness is the most sobering act. We must stop being reactionary. We must stop being driven by emotion. Let's take a moment to be sober, step back and say, okay, Jesus, empower me to be what you need me to be in the situation. Let's start in the church, you guys. There's no such thing as a perfect church. But if there is animosity, if there's gossip, if there's slander, if there's deceit and envy occurring in this place, you guys have the power to resist that. You have the power to stand up and say, let's stop. Let's get rid of being offended and let's love one another. I tell you guys, I feel it with every bone in my body. If a church commits themselves to do that, that is evangelism. That's evangelism. Because like I said, there's so many hurting, so many people in despair. And once they decide to come in, that kind of love, that kind of holiness will be so noticeable. It's like, what is going on? This is weird. No one's talking bad about each other. Everyone wants to give cakes to each other. Everyone wants to baptize. What's happening? What is this? Is this real? Because, boy, do I want it to be real. Start in the church so that it can go outside of the church. Amen. Thank you, brother.
Uh, let's pray and then we'll, we'll conclude. But I do want to focus on something that Simon had said. The devil is a predator. He is a lion and he is roaming around and he is looking for prey. And what I what stuck with me most is I just kind of asked the Lord, what do I want to pray before we leave over you as you leave this place? What could we pray for? And I think the question that stood uh, in my heart was, who is the prey? If the devil is a predator, who is the prey? And it was three things. It's the one who hasn't received forgiveness. It's the one who hasn't given forgiveness. And it's, of course, the one who does not serve. And so here's what I want to do before we leave is every head bow, just take a moment just to create a, a sacred space right now. If there's anyone in this room right now who feels like there are things that you have done in your past that are unworthy of forgiveness. I want to tell you that's a lie. You might be saying, well, you don't know what I did last night. I want to tell you that it's a lie. Jesus went to the cross. Was crucified violently. Shed his blood so that he could tell you that there he will forgive anything there's nothing that he can't forgive and so if you're sitting here right now in this in this room and you feel like you are an an unforgivable you are you have done something you're a person who can't be forgiven i want to tell you right now that it's not true and so i pray right now if there's anyone in this building that feels far from God and far from his forgiveness. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that they would just feel your love. Jesus loves you and he died for you. Will you receive that this morning? Will you just say, I receive this forgiveness? This forgiveness they're talking about, I receive it. And I pray if there's anyone in here today, you've been wronged or you've been offended, you've been hurt or you've been wounded. And there is somebody in your life that you cannot forgive. In fact, if we were to sit down and talk, you'd say, Philip, I hate them. In my own strength, it's impossible to forgive them. I just pray right now you'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for just a, a group of broken people in this room. We would forgive. We'd forgive. We'd forgive our mothers. We'd forgive our fathers. We'd forgive our relatives. We'd forgive people that have hurt us and wounded us. God, we trust you with them. We trust you with them. And so, Father, I just pray if there's anybody struggling to forgive, that you would speak and empower them to do the impossible so they could be free. You are the judge. You'll, you'll punish what needs to be punished. And finally, Father, I just pray that this we would develop a culture and community of serving at this church. 
I feel if there's anybody here that's tired, if there's anybody here, uh, Lord, I just pray that we would serve, that we would wash feet. And not just in the church on Sundays, but I pray we would serve at home. I pray that we would serve at our workplace. I, I pray, Lord God, that we would go low. We would serve others for your honor and your glory. Lord, I just thank you for Simon. I pray a blessing over his life. I thank you for his faithfulness and his obedience to your word. I ask that you would just bless this community and bless every church this morning that's faithfully proclaiming your gospel in the Bay Area and beyond. That your kingdom is coming and that we are a part of that, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. We ask you um, just to be with us as we head out into the mission field to be your hands and your feet, Jesus. And we ask these things in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. And everyone said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you on, on Wednesday right here at Theology of Coffee. And we'll see you next Sunday. Baptisms, it's your time. All right, God bless. I could talk about where I'm from, where I've been and what I've done.